We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome back, everyone, to The Truth Perspective. It is January 9th, 2016, our second show of the new year. Um, unfortunately, Ilan is feeling under the weather today, so I'll be hosting this show. Um, with me, we have sought editors, Corey. Say hi, Hello, Corey. Hello, everybody. We've got Mega joining us again. Hello. And William Barbe is back. Good afternoon, everyone. Hi. So today we are going to have a bit of a shorter show today, but we're going to get into a few of the stories that have been brewing over the past week or so since the new year. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is what is going on or what happened in Cologne, Germany on New Year's Eve. And that story is still pretty much getting daily headlines, so we figured might as well take a look at it and try to see what's going on. So the story started out, New Year's Eve celebrations. And so this is in Cologne, Germany. Now, near one of the near one of the kind of metro stations there, there was a group of what people say uh, pretty much universally, all the news reports, all the people, they all say a thousand immigrants or a thousand people that looked like they were Middle Eastern or North African were all gathered in this square and um, putting off firecrackers and kind of partying, getting drunk. And then what happened was that this mob of migrants sexually assaulted over 100 women. Now that's the basic story. Um, there's a lot of other details to it that we'll get into. But even just from that story, just a couple comments to start out with. So, like I said, the news reports are pretty much universal that this is what happened. Um, but there's something, you know, I, right away I thought there was something strange about this because, num- first of all, the number was universal, so there was a thousand. Um, I'm wondering how exactly this number was come up with. I mean, okay, maybe. Maybe that square will only hold a thousand people, or maybe that's what just uh, you know. Uh, well, let's, let's just say that it's right. So there's a, a thousand people in this square, all party. First of all, when you watch the videos, all the videos show so far is a bunch of young men, um, some young women, mostly men, um, partying. So they're throwing off firecrackers in this in this square. Just from those videos, it looks like a bunch of you know rambunctious teens or twenty-somethings partying um, wouldn't look out of place um, in most cities even. I mean, I can imagine that happening in some cities in North America too. So this is what goes, goes on. But then the, the sinister part of the story is with these sexual assaults that did happen um, because currently the numbers are at least 120 women have come forward saying that they were um, sexually assaulted on the streets by um, men in this crowd. There were um, at, there was at least one woman that says she was raped. 
so this stuff was happening. There are reports from people saying that they that they got um, kind of shoved down a gauntlet of um, kind of well of abuse, so that the people would be pushed in between the, just groups of men and uh, maybe repeatedly fondled by people in this uh, in this crowd. Um, according to German police, um, the latest updates I could find was that they have. Um, that they're aware of 31 suspects, 22 of which they're identifying as asylum, seeker, asylum seekers or refugees. So about two out of three of the suspects are, um, are refugees, migrants. So those are just the bare details. Like I said, 1,000 people, 120 at least reports of assaults. And if you read the, the news, it's, uh, it's pretty much universal the way that this is being presented, except there was one interesting thing that RT just has an article out um, because the, may, or the, the police chief, the top cop of Cologne, lost his job um, for his handling of what went down, um, police chief Wolfgang Albers. So um, he lost his job. We might get into the reasons for that. But in this article, it says... Um, let me see if I can find it here. Okay, well, I can't find the exact quote, <clears throat> but this is the first article that I've seen where they say, that instead of saying that the 1,000-man mob collectively assaulted all of these uh, all these women, they this is the first article that I've seen that says that some of the men within this 1,000-strong 1, um, crowd assaulted women. So no longer is does it seem... Um, well, so this is the only article I've seen where the narrative hasn't been that 1,000 men were all sexually assaulting these women, because that's what didn't make sense to me at first. There, because all the news reports give the impression that this was 1,000 men all there with the purpose of sexually assaulting German women. Um, I don't know. Guys, what do you think about that? Do you have any comments? Well, I have I found the, um, the the quote from the RT article, um, and it says, "On the night in question, witnesses said as many as a thousand heavily intoxicated men of Arab or North African appearance flooded yes. Cologne's famous square." The crowd reportedly began to set fireworks with some women, some harassing women as they walked by. Yes, some. Okay. So the differentiate between the thousand men who were flooding the square and then the actual people who were harassing the women. Okay, yeah, that's the quote. Thanks for th thanks for finding that, Nick. Sure. So yeah, it does. I think that that whole story, just right from the get go, there, the whole idea that it's a thousand uh, rapists essentially took the square, uh, that kind of whips up the hysteria right off the bat, and so it's really difficult to get a clear picture of what of what happened. Um, but you know, one of the first reports came out wasn't uh, by the police, but. Um, it was on the morning of January the 1st, I believe, that on a social networking site, um, according to a German newspaper, uh, a social networking site in Germany that's kind of like the Craigslist here in the U.S., but somebody got on there and uh, said, you know, last night at about uh, 1 a.m., you know, we were walking to this mob and my girlfriend groped. And they said, just rough the back, that it was a bunch of uh, refugees that did it. And so then that took off like wildfire and just spread across, you know, this book with mostly the right-wing commentators, you know, making, uh, drawing these, you know, race exclusion 
from that that report. And then on January the second, I believe it was that the the re, that the police issued a report saying that um, you know about 100 to 500 people had been um, 400 500 apparently intoxicated persons engaging in suspiciously aggressive behavior. The majority are male, and they are firing off firecrackers and rockets in an uncontrolled uh, manner. And then, and then the report that was released on January 2nd, these men were quickly and without any confirmation whatsoever described as, quote-unquote, refugees. Um, that was what was released uh, in, the, in the German press. Just as this situation kind of it happened, there was a lot of, uh, it seems like there was a lot of smokescreen at the beginning that, you know, the police... Uh, chief said that the, it was a peaceful night, nothing happened, and then reports started to come out, and the information just changed, and it's still changing to this day. So it's it's a fluid, definitely dynamic. Yeah, the mayor, uh, there was a statement that the mayor made. The mayor of Cologne said that the police were holding back info and that uh, holding back information on what happened that night, and that, that she said, or he or she, sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure, said it's that... It's Henriette um, Raker. Henriette, so it is she. Okay, she said that uh, that re- that really um, kind of caused her to lose some confidence in the police force, and um, so it seems like there's a lot of um, kind of internal things going on right now, internal conflicts, um, because the police, um, well, regardless of what you know actually happened, the police really didn't do very much from from all reports. Um, there are reports that there were something like a hundred and something extra police um, officers kind of on reserve waiting to be called in, and they refused to call them in. Um, there weren't enough police officers there. They they didn't... Um, um, some politicians are saying that it was actually a political decision for the police not to get too involved. Um, so it looks like the police kind of deliberately held back and didn't intervene in any way in what was going on. Which makes me wonder if um, if this was purely a kind of well pre- purely a political decision for not wanting to um, not wanting to go after refugees in any way, so as to avoid the um, the appearance that they're anti-refugees, or if they were kind of if they kind of knew what was going on and deliberately um, deliberately held back for other reasons, that is to make a scandal out of it, because. The way this is playing out, it's just like um, we've been saying for the last year, if not more. Last year around this time, we ran a series of articles uh, called Holocaust 2.0, just pointing out how similar this situation is in Europe and several European countries, and not just in Europe, but in North America as well, of just the increasing amount of Islamophobia and just blatant racism against Muslims and Arabs people from that region, they don't even have to be Muslim or Arab, um, or they could be Christian Arabs. It's just purely um, this, this, uh, just this racist response that's automatic. It doesn't matter. I mean, there are reports of people slurring people of totally different races just because they think they're Muslims when they're not even. Um, there are, I just watched an interview with some residents in Cologne and other German cities, and there are these two black guys um, not immigrants in Germany, and they say they've been walking around, um, walking around Cologne for the past week, and people are looking at them and avoiding them as if they are these refugees. And they and they say it's, you know, they're not. They're Germans. They've 
you know, they've lived their, their entire lives. So this is stuff that's going on. And so was this, was this the intention of um, kind of a hidden motivation for this? Is it because it seems to just play right into that narrative where it is giving the kind of right-wing response the excuse that they want in order to justify their racist policies and um, kind of to bring the neo-Nazis out of the woodwork because anywhere you, any way you look at it, all refugees, all these migrants cannot and are not evil, bad people. Um, and that's the thing that, that people don't seem to understand or be willing to look at, and it makes perfect sense why not. Because whenever you have, I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster, this whole situation, where we have, just in the last year, in Germany, there have been between one and one and a half million uh, refugees, asylum seekers that have entered the country. Now, I don't know, I can't figure out the exact number because I hear you know, various numbers from different people. Um, some German opposition politicians say it's 1.5 million. Uh, news can, the news agencies can say as low as 1 million. But anywhere from 1 to 1.5 1 million people have come into the country. And when you have... Even even if you take one percent of that population, of that number of people, that's ten thousand people of one million, or fifteen thousand people of one and a half million. When you have a hundred people, chances are one of them is going to be um, well a psychopath or more. You're going to have personality disorders. You're going to have um, just crazy, violent people. Not necessarily violent. They may be violent in different ways, like some psychopaths. But you're going to have, let's say, 1% of those people on average being a psychopath. So you're going to have 10,000 people that have come into the country at least, up to 15,000, maybe even more, depending on um, just the demographics of the people that have come into the country. And that's a lot of people to enter into a country and contribute to the demography of crime, basically. Now, when those people commit crimes, like let's say that this, these, even this thousand people were all organized, these are all, um, you know, shady elements. It could be the only thousand in Cologne. Maybe they all got together somehow. But let's just say it was. That does not represent the other one and a half or one million people that have come into the country. But those are the people that get into the news. Those are the people that... Um, end up their their actions and the way they are presented are the ones that kind of that write the narrative that people will then use to categorize all these other people and that's what you can see when you look at the interviews with just the ordinary people on the street in Cologne they are saying that now after this has happened they don't feel safe they're avoiding all people that look like they might be Middle Eastern or North African and that's and there's no way to avoid it. That's just the natural response to what happens. And so that, I mean, either it's just a big coincidence that this is happening the way it is, and people are just that stupid and can't see what's going on, or there at least there's at least some intentional motivation, and this is the direction that people want things to be going. Well, yeah, Harrison. I don't think it'd be that difficult in a crowd of uh, you know four, uh, 500 to 1,000 people throw in a couple you know agent provocateurs, as, which, as we know, is uh, 
a favorite method for, you know, disrupting groups or to, you know, create this sort of an atmosphere. Um, uh, but so as you were you're talking earlier about the police in the square not really doing a whole lot to to break this this group up, um, it sounds like, you know, a thousand people had uh, uh, come into the into the square by about 11 p.m. at night on the, the day that this occurred. And then the police, uh, they they just dis- they disrupted it. They got everyone out. They uh, they blocked entrances and exits. And for about 40 minutes, settled officers down there to do this. Uh, but then uh, 40 officers remained behind, and then they just watched as the area filled up again with a thousand people, according to the Spiegel. So I mean, you you look at this and you wonder why uh, why they made these sorts of decisions. Um, you know, to to allow this to uh, to just keep on going on and on. When I mean, it seems like in a, many other instances, uh, the the police are quick to crack down and to and to really flex mm-hmm. their muscles. Uh, yeah. Especially, you know, since they had uh, double the number of police uh, riot police in Cologne for uh, this evening because they were afraid of terrorist operations, and they re- requested triple the number, but they didn't get it. And so then they have, you know, this uh, group of people acting uh, rowdily, and they just they just kind of rolled over on it, and then you know all of a sudden you uh, you get all these accusations, and the and just like you said, you know the a lot of the refugee a lot of people who are asking for escorts through this area were also refugees who had immigration backgrounds and who were afraid of what was going on and confused by it and just wanted to get to someplace safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also well, that, wanted to mention that the German newspaper Das Bild. Um, they put out an interesting article too that uh, from a police officer admitting that there are strict instructions from the authorities not to report about offenses committed by refugees. Only direct requests from the media about such acts should be answered. And then a spokesman for the head of the Interior Ministry he confirmed that policy, saying that the press office managers were advised that right wing extremists could exploit the issue of refugees in order to stoke sentiment against people seeking protection. Well, you see, the funny thing is that they're right because whenever something like this happens, it, it, it is just perfect grist for the fascist mill where these right-wing elements then do use it as um, um, as justification for their policies or what they think of as policies. Right. So in that sense, they're right, but they don't they, they aren't doing themselves any favors by doing it, on the other hand, because it just makes it... I mean, because you can't, well, just look at what's happened with this event. They couldn't cover it up. It came out, and now they end up looking like total idiots. And it just gives <laughs> the, right, the right-wingers even more justification for, for not only presenting their, their case that all, race, all, all migrants are you know, terrorists, but also that the government is inept and, and censoring and coming up with stupid policies. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous when you look at it. And um, unfortunately, it just seems like there's no way out of it at this point. It's just gotten to the point where any way you look at it, you, there's, it doesn't seem like there's any right choice that the German government, as it, as it exists now, uh, can make. Because on the one hand, if they keep doing exactly what they've been doing, then, well, this stuff is just going to keep happening. They're going to get more criticism for for exactly the things they've been criticized about, for, first of all, letting all these migrants in, 
um, when obviously there are criminal elements, but then again, you know, that's natural, that's going to happen regardless, um, and that they're, they're making these kind of what would seem to be ridiculous decisions like, you know, like the one you just said, William, and, but then what, what are they going to do? Are they going to kind of become like the, the fascist Nazi light party, where they open up, you know, moderate concentration camps and, uh, you know, and moderately deport some people. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's a. It's also interesting too that's coming out that actually nine German cities were involved had you know similar attacks and has also occurred in Austria and Switzerland. And, yeah. And all of these were sexual attacks, and, it, and even homosexuals were included in some of these attacks. So it it almost seems like there was some sort of coordinated plan here. And I know refugees aren't going to be coordinating something like this with other refugees in other cities and, and countries. So it, uh-huh. that really is kind of uh, curious. Now, there was a comment in the Guardian article that was published on the 7th. Um, and it said they compared the modus operandi of these people to a criminal gang um, that have operated mm-hmm. in strength for several years. So I don't think uh, refugees are that organized yeah, I mean, it looks, it, it really looks like there's more to this story than meets the eye. And first of all, that this, um, so was this like a spontaneous gathering of these th- thousand guys with, with firecrackers? I don't know. Um, who was, who exactly were these thousand people? We don't know. I don't think we ever will be able to find out who exactly was there. Um, but it definitely does seem, something, something about it seems organized, um, I did. RT interviewed uh, a Syrian migrant named, uh, well, his, said his name was Mark. They interviewed him in Cologne on, on the square, and he, he was there that night, and so he related what he observed and what happened. He said there was a big crowd of people. They were kind of spaced in groups of 20 to 30 people. They were all in the square. You know, some were uh, drinking and putting off fire firecrackers and fireworks. And then he said that that, that some appeared... Um, kind of up, it looks like on the steps of a cathedral, I think, is is there, and they started shooting firecrackers and, and fireworks into the crowd. So it looks like things like, it, well, to me, it looked like there were just a bunch of young people getting up to their, you know, crazy young antics, um, doing what teenagers and young young 20s-somethings do, you know, all over the world, generally being irresponsible, but that... Um, I mean, it looks like it could have been a group of small, a smaller group of these, let's call them agent provocateur of some kind, um, that started, um, you know, causing a bit of mayhem. Because if you look at the videos, first of all, I mean, it's just a bunch of people firing firecrackers into the into the air, and it doesn't. I mean, there's nothing looks particularly violent or, um, you know, out of control. And then mm-hmm. this guy says that they started firing into the crowd, firing these firecrackers into the crowd, and at that point, you know, things started getting a bit crazy. Mm. Yeah, it's the the whole thing. Just as you were saying, William, and you measured out through you know several countries, and you see that that all seems so coordinated. I mean, it does it does seem intended to. Um, even if the event itself wasn't intended, the outcry afterwards, the aftermath, it has been used by the far right to really stoke anti-Muslim hysteria um, and fears uh, about what you know these quote-unquote Muslim refugees are going to 
be doing this country. And I mean, you no, know, you can even read most of the things that people say on the air. Uh, you know, most of the comments that are on the face pages or on the the news websites. I mean, you see that these opinions that are coming out, there's you know, it's a complete like a fascist revival that's that's going on, and people feel uh, compelled now to to share their own racist views on all sorts of websites uh, because of this uh, this event. So it's really been used as a catalyst, uh, obviously, to to strengthen right parties uh, throughout Europe, uh, just you know Germany in particular. Here, you know, focus on the the rise of uh, of what I think it was called alternative for Germany, which is a uh, you know their main slogan is asylum requires borders, red card for Merkel. You know, everyone's shouting down with Merkel, down with the liberal media, and and all of this nonsense. It's just it's enough to you know just drive the normal person crazy. Well, I think that this is this is pretty much what the plan was from the beginning. And that's why earlier I said that it doesn't look like there's much that the German government or other even other European governments can do at this point because this was the the motive behind this whole um refugee crisis in the first part. Um I think that this was that there's well there's enough in enough news stories and items that have come out over the past year or so to indicate that this was a deliberate um, operation, a deliberate plan to destabilize European countries from within. And, of course, so when we're talking about that, this is the U.S. in charge of NATO and Turkey who basically set this thing into motion because there were millions of refugees in Turkey. Turkey basically opened up the refugee camps and said, okay, go to Europe. And that's where a lot of these people are coming from. And once you've got that, I mean, it will just will. It, it's just the perfect recipe for for. I mean, it looks like Germany and Hungary and Switzerland and all these other countries were just kind of designed. It, the, the conditions were just right for this to work, in the sense that all these refugees come in, millions of them. Um, what first of all, what do the what do these European European nations do? Do they just reject them and send them all back? Where do they send them? A lot of these people don't even have passports or they're using fake identification because they think they'll be able to get into the country. And, uh, you know, if they're Syrian, so we've got reports of tons of fake Syrian passports, are all the. Now, there are probably a lot of just a lot of real refugees, people trying to escape the situations in the Middle East. To, to find a better life, and they feel that the best way they can do it is, you know, by using a fake Syrian passport, perhaps. Now, so you've just got millions and millions of people, and there just isn't the, there aren't the, the, the systems in place to be able to deal with this. And so what do they do? Well, Germany is one of the countries that kind of just opened their doors and said, well, we're going to take tons and tons of refugees. Now, that's leaving the, the German government up for criticism for kind of agreeing to this problem in the first place because it is becoming a problem. Um, <clears throat> and it is splitting European societies. It's splitting German society. We have this polarization of camps where we have the, the, the far right becoming more and more um, radicalized in their views. I mean, they can't see that they're just... You know, repeating the Nazi rhetoric, 
in different clothing. And then we've got the the, the kind of leftists who are, um, and you've, you've well, you see this in the the protests and the rallies that have been going on, even in the last week, where you have pro-refugee people saying that we love refugees, and then you've got the totally anti-refugee camps. On the other hand, now this so this is creating internal divisions in these countries, which are very easy to exploit. So mm-hmm. we've got these. We've got plenty of opportunities for these color revolutions or even just internal chaos that can then be used to either control or to just keep um, European governments busy and therefore um, keep them in under the thumb of their U.S. you know master state. So it just seems like it's it's been designed for that for for this purpose and it's just playing out perfectly because it doesn't seem like I don't know what these people can do, what these what these governments can do to make this situation any better. No, I uh, this this crisis, you know, and you know, putting in perspective, like with what you said there, with it being used to kind of you know control and destabilize Europe, um, it's the the whole refugee crisis has been extraordinarily lucrative for uh, groups like ISIS and, you know, their sponsors in Turkey and Saudi Arabia and the U.S., uh, because that was for, uh, I believe it's on a thought article uh, about an Italian journalist who exposes a lot of the main uh, ways that ISIS gets their financing, but uh, it's through it was through uh, shuttling migrants around. You know, they would charge them buku bucks to get them you know, into these safe areas, these safe zones, uh, you know, where you know, quote unquote, safe zones that Turkey would, you know, uh, corral them up, and then, and then eventually let them loose with their sights set on Greece and Germany. But the yeah, ISIS was making millions of dollars on. So on one end, you had this terrorist groups getting the financing from the the migrant crisis, and now on the other end, you see the far right receiving a ton of political. Uh, power or uh, you know a, a considerable increase in political power here in Europe so it's just it's the most diabolical plan that you could probably imagine you know using these people yeah. essentially like cattle using yeah. all of these people like cattle after you destroyed their countries and now they're wind up in in Europe and the their the, the conditions there are just atrocious as I remember I was just overhearing a, a man with with he actually has far right views. He's an American. He was a, he was a marine. He had very far right views, and even he said that he couldn't believe the way that the refugees were being treated in in Europe. He said it looked like concentration camps. And this is a guy who is you know I mean just about as far right as as you'd meet in terms of his political views. But even he was astonished by the way they were treating him. Well, just to, I'm just going to interrupt and change the subject for a second slightly. We can get back to this one if you guys have more to say. But um, in the news recently, there was uh, this story. Um, the two phone transcripts of uh, phone calls between Tony Blair and uh, Libya's deceased leader, Gaddafi, have come out. So, of course, Gaddafi was lynched after the invasion of Libya in 2011, and these calls between Blair and Gaddafi took place on, um, 
one of yeah they took place on February 25th 2011 so this was before things got really bad and just one of the things that Gaddafi told Blair um, I'll get into a few of them but the one thing that he said that kind of relates to what's been going on um, well on another on other occasions Gaddafi had said well you know if this happens if if um, if if this happens in Libya then there's going to be a migrant crisis I mean this is the the natural um, response to what's going on. So he warned that Europe would be facing the problems it's facing now. He also told um, Blair that um, that they, meaning the jihadists that he was seeing, want to control the Mediterranean and then they will attack Europe. So this is what Gaddafi was telling Blair, and he started the conversation off by asking Blair um, if he supported al-Qaeda. He said that the people, so this is a quote from Gaddafi, he said, people are spreading rumors through the TV stations. Those people are from Guantanamo. We know them by name. They support al-Qaeda. Do you support al-Qaeda? So right from the beginning, uh, you know, Gaddafi had information, which was accurate, that these people who are invading the country, these rebels, were foreign mercenaries and tied to al-Qaeda. So this is what was happening. And, of course, you know, Blair either being an idiot or a total liar, told Gaddafi, no, absolutely not, we don't support al-Qaeda, when, I mean, the whole NATO operation was a NATO, you know, al-Qaeda operation. They were working hand-in-hand with each other to destroy Libya. So Gaddafi also said um, to Blair, it seems this is a colonization. Um, I will have to arm the people and get ready for a fight. Blair said, again, either a complete idiot or a total liar, no one wants to recolonize Libya. Yeah, right. Uh, Let me clear, no one wants to recolonize Libya. Libya is for its people. Total, I mean, just a total liar. This guy should be in prison. Um, Yeah, history shows it. (laughs) Go on. Yeah, I was just saying, and history shows what a lie that was. Yeah, and then the fact that this whole controversy right now surrounding Blair is that, oh my God, Blair was warning Gaddafi. How could he How could he want to protect Gaddafi? And so Blair's in this position where he's having to defend himself and saying, oh, no, I wasn't defending Gaddafi. No, you know, I'm, I'm part, of the, part of the team. Um, when really, if, if anything, um, you know, as bad a guy as Blair was, he should be really, um, well, I kind of feel sick saying this, but he should be praised for trying to save Gaddafi, he should actually be rallying behind that and saying, yes, of course, I tried to save him because what happened to him was a crime and a travesty, and these people should be in prison for doing this. But then, of course, you know, he'd have to go right along with them. But um, just how, what gets me is just how backwards and how backwards the narrative is around this, because the international community, so-called, should have um, gotten together to protect Gaddafi and not to to let Libya be completely destroyed as it was and um, and what we're seeing now is a direct result of what happened in Libya um, which just goes to show um, you know how sick twisted stupid or just completely <laughs> callous and conniving these individuals in positions of power who are responsible for what happened to Libya Libya are, and that they are directly responsible for everything going on in Europe right now, and Syria, and, you know, Afghanistan. I mean, there's the list of just 
horrible things going on on the planet right now is endless, and it all comes back to these people and the decisions that they've made. And it's just sick. And reading this this conversation between Blair and Gaddafi is, I mean, it's just heart-wrenching to know what happened. And, um, yeah, that's really all i got to say about yeah, that. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty sickening to read these transcripts. <laughs> I mean, just underlining stuff and making notes. It was like, oh my gosh, he just uh, just Blair just kept saying the same old thing. He wanted uh, Gaddafi to step out of the way or be a, and talking to Gaddafi in third person, which was kind of interesting. Uh, a leader should, you know, try and make peace and don't use violence. And Gaddafi kept telling him, look, you've got Al Qaeda in here and they're shooting at. Us, attacking us, and you just and how are we going to make peace? We got to defend ourselves somehow. Are you going to come in and help defend us? And you know, Blair says, "Well, no, no, we're not going to do that. A, a leader must show the way and say, there, you know, we'll have peace." And uh, later, he was suggesting that you know, maybe Gaddafi should go hide away somewhere or get out of town. You know, it's like this Gaddafi must go thing, like you hear Assad must go. Um, yeah. Is just totally saying he kept saying the same thing over and over again. Blair was telling Gaddafi, you know, oh, this leader must show peace, and Gaddafi kept trying to tell him, well, come over here, come see the truth. You know, the the mainstream media is portraying lies that you have all these people demonstrating are against the government. He said that's not true. They're being attacked, and they want help to be protected from these Al Qaeda terrorists. And 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 Tony Blair could just would just blow him off. Said, "Oh, let, let's not talk about the terrorists. You know, we must have peace and and go with a new constitution and have this new transition of government." It's like, but that's not what the Libyan people want. <laughs> that's what they kept trying to drum. And it was just so blatant what their manipulations were. Right. That's what Al Qaeda wanted. Was, yeah, yeah. You can't reason with them. You know, they have no – you can't talk to them. Even Gaddafi said that. You can't talk to them. You can't reason with them. All they, It's just purely terrorism that they're here for. You, you try and talk peace with them, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, and then in the in the States, I believe it was last year, a, a collection of CIA and other sort of intelligence officers and officials uh, put together a document basically just calling out the U.S. for supporting al-Qaeda in Libya and just basically making it an official that this is exactly what they did. They went in there, they armed al-Qaeda, they, they allied with them to destroy the nation and murdered Gaddafi on uh, on camera and and then just, uh, and you know, just wash their hands of it. And, you know, I mean, it's it's on record. It's it's what it's what happened. It's a fish. It's history, you know, and now they're they just keep trying to do the same thing. And, and Blair's up there trying to. To, trying to lie his way out of it. I mean, it's just such a it's such a mess. Yeah, and, and look at the last statement that that Blair said to Gaddafi. Uh, Keep the lines open. So, yeah, so we know exactly where you are. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, I think we might have a caller. Uh, let's just find out. So, caller, you're on the line. If you are there, uh, so just let us know your name, where you're from, and what you want to ask. Yeah, this is Kent from West Virginia. Hey, Kent. Hi, hi yeah, Kent. You were, you were talking about the uh, the transcripts uh, of the conversation between um, Blair and Gaddafi. Yeah. What I found interesting, I saw several newspaper reports. Now, I looked, did a cursory look, and I couldn't find a transcript. But there seemed to be popping up at the same time 
this, I guess maybe it's a con- maybe it's a transcript between uh, uh, little Billy Clinton and Tony Blair, and I was kind of, I mean, it was like, it was like, uh, how's the wife, you know, how's the children, and they were talking about Diana. You know, she had so much ahead of her, and, you know, Clinton says, I worry about the boys. And I, I thought, I don't know whether that's true. I doubt it. I mean, I have very nefarious opinions of both of them. Maybe you do, too. And to, and to, and to mm-hmm. see these people, whether, I don't know, I, I don't know whether that was fabricated for the purpose of uh, uh, neutralizing this uh, Gaddafi Blair tape, you know. But it was just like, oh, let's get together and... and uh, uh, Clinton wanted to come over and babysit for Sherry's, you know, Sherry was pregnant, and he wanted to come over and babysit, and he wanted a, a, a British passport citizen, so he could go over there and have a house, play golf in Scotland and be an MP. I mean, it was just so sappy, just god-awful, you know. I don't, I don't know whether you saw that and what your opinion of it was. It just, you know, I, I thought it was kind of like a disinformation to to dis- distract from the uh, Qaddafi Blair release. Yeah, yeah well, uh, I think it could yeah, definitely be that. And uh, I was just going to say, I remember seeing the headlines. I didn't uh, dig too far into in that particular one, but I know that there was also uh, some other emails released by Hillary, or, uh, from Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, and all sorts of uh, dirt been dug up on her lately. So uh, it could be a distraction from a whole bunch of things, in my opinion. And there's yeah, also yeah, a but, meme going around as well now, where you know they're they're trying to the, the people are mocking those kind of conversations between Clinton and Blair, and so uh, there was an article showing well what was actually true, which was just as, as silly as the ones that aren't true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I looked, I did it, you know, and of course when you look when you put in Blair Clinton transcript. You know, you get all kinds of, well, you don't get what you're looking for anyway, you know. So I got the impression that it was, so. Well, I was glad to know. I just, I just wanted to throw that in because uh, uh, just see what you all thought. I'm glad to know that you think the same way I did. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Ken. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, take care. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, I that whole just that mess. I mean, it really does tie in just what we were talking about with Lydia and, uh, uh, you know, this, this distraction, you know, Clinton and Blair having their nice little conversation. Meanwhile, you know, Hillary Clinton still on the loose, you know, responsible for so much bloodshed and mayhem over there. And so more animation comes out day after day. Uh, yeah, so the news definitely whether or not Clinton wanted to uh, babysit Blair's children. It's, uh, you know, that's, the news is you know, Hillary Clinton is still on the loose. Yeah, yeah that's the news. Uh, yeah, war criminal still on the loose. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. Um, there was this... Let me see if I can find it. There was because some of those emails that were that were released recently, there was just there was a lot of interesting stuff in the ones that were just released. Let me see if I can find it because there was some that related just um, to uh, to Libya. So, mm-hmm. uh, how about? Hmm, no, I can't find it, but. 
I mean, there were so these were emails. Uh, some were sent by, I believe it was like, kind of like her inside man in Libya, I think, and he was talking about what's going on on the ground and what the kind of their contacts are saying, what's going on, and just revealing kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on around the invasion of Libya, um, and of course the the usual things. That the that I mean we've been talking about for years that anyone in the, that reads alternative media knows but that was never talked about in the mainstream news um, until now it's kind of just getting a little bit of um, you know a little bit of play down in in the nether paragraphs of several articles dealing with these subjects but um, one that's basically giving the reasons that France got involved, and, of course, it had nothing to do with responsibility to protect. It had nothing to do with protecting civilians. It was all about um, securing French, um, you know, influence and power because um, de- dealing with oil and gold, I mean, so people wanted control of the oil, and they were afraid that the gold-backed dinar that Libya was working on, their currency would kind of... Um, have a negative effect on their own currencies and economies. Um, reports in these emails of the the war crimes that were going on and the fact that these rebels, these Libyan rebels, so-called, um, were actually terrorists engaging in war crimes, indiscriminately killing people and executing them, um, and the the fact that they were they basically carrying out a genocide against the the black population in Libya because there were a lot of black immigrants that had come to work um, from neighboring nations so they were technically foreigners and these people were being summarily executed um, after being labeled as foreign terrorists so the real foreign terrorists in Libya were killing the black immigrant population um, under the excuse that they were foreign-backed terrorists. And Clinton and everybody knew about this, and again, that well, it's all part of the game, all part of the plan, so of course we never heard about it, nothing was done about it. In fact, these murderers were given even more support and allowed to destroy the country, um, along with NATO bombs. So, I mean, there you have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with uh, Russia... Uh, you know, repression in Syria. It sounds like the nightmare is uh, just beginning for Libya, with the, the ISIS moving, uh, moving in and looking to take over, uh, you know, the oil fields and to really try and revamp their their uh, their process of stealing oil from these, you know, these nations. And it's, you know, like you said, not, this wouldn't be happening if it weren't for uh, the U.S. invading and destroying. Uh, the sovereign government and taking out their spiritual leader, uh, Gaddafi, and just, and then just letting these lunatics uh, run rampant and give them, you know, guns and make sure that they had, you know, nice beds to sleep in at night. It's, uh, it's you know, it's, you can, it's still going on, you know, it's just really shadowy, you know, we're just getting a little bit of a, a light shining in on what's going on with the help of, you know, like Russian media and, you know, Russian reports of what's going on on the ground, Iranian reports. But, you know, it looks like uh, just in Syria, just, uh, I think it was just a week or so ago, um, I'm not sure if it was the Kurds or if it was the Free Syrian Army, uh, the Russian Army, I mean, that had taken over a, a dam, a really critical uh, 
strategic spot there in that was Syria. The free Syrian army. That, that was the free Syrian yeah, army. Yeah, with the U.S. backing. Right, and then the the U.S. Now the U.S. is there, and I mean their hands. Are, it's very obvious that wherever these critical supply routes are for ISIS in Syria, the U.S. is there to make sure that they're safe and they're protected. And then when you know the Kurds uh, get too close to cutting off the supply route, then Turkey will bomb the Kurds, and it's just uh, it, they've. It's really for anyone who can, who's just paying attention. It's pretty easy to see what they're doing. And there were supposed to be no U.S. boots on the ground in Syria, but what do we have here? <laughs> so, what, about a thousand of, of boots are there? Mm-mm. Hey, guys, hold and on a second. I think with... we've got another. I think we've got another caller. I'm going to go to him. So, caller, are you there? If so, let us know what your name hey guys. is. Hey, Andrew calling. Hey, Andrew. Uh, Wow, guys. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. (laughs) Just trying to uh, stay positive for 2016, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's so much that can be achieved if people would just focus on uh, kind of like, uh, you know, the uh, implementation aspects. Because what you guys, you guys are bringing up Gaddafi and Libya, and it is just such a profound study. I was on a radio show the other night, and there were good people, but they said, well, listen, you know, we don't really want to, uh, let's not go in, let's not talk so much about Africa, let's talk about the United States. I'm like, but it's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it seems to me that, you know, maybe there's a, maybe it would be a good idea to do more radio shows about uh, what people are doing on the ground locally. So, for example, there could be one radio show per week about just how are uh, local communities interfacing with their troops abroad and uh, troops on on land uh, to be able to get them to change their minds about key issues. Therefore, if you can, like, you know, get half the military to put down tools, it's going to make a huge difference. Um, You know, shows on, like, okay, but what, like, you know, connecting with every state and connecting with every base and connecting with other nations to say, you know, how in NATO, I mean, like, you know, if you're going to have to, the group that does that would have to connect with Europe as well. But then it's like, so how do you fund that group? Well, you have to make sure that there's a fund available. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, microfinance. Uh, crowdfunding, uh, how are you going to get away from the Fed? Well, you have to use something like the blockchain. And on it goes, and on it goes, and on it goes. But people are, not sp- people are generally not speaking so much about those issues. Not that news isn't important. News is extremely important for, an- for analytical purposes and being able to figure out what, what moves are, uh, and manipulations are happening. But if, if people on the ground are actually going to change things, they need to be self-reliant first. So communities need to start getting that right. And then they need to start putting those other programs into place to start worldview warfare and influencing their communities, influencing the larger state that they're living in. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what I would like to see radio shows happening about every week, you know, to speak to those particular groups that would form. Um, and it's incredibly difficult because the vast majority of people don't keep in touch uh, because of the, the distances. Like, you know, if I say to somebody, let's keep in touch over encrypted email, uh, you know, at least three days out of the week for this project, and let's see how we can fund ourselves through crowdfunding to start getting the thing off the ground. It'll 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 last for about like from my side and their side. It's just the nature of human beings, I think. It'll last sort of like maybe a, a couple of weeks, and then we'll fizzle out. Yeah. Because everyone's under so much pressure to go and earn that Federal Reserve note or that you know European Reserve Bank note. That we're uh, you know we're lacking energy, we're lacking the ability to organize. And I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that we're doing anything to try and take down governments in a bad way. I'm, ta- I'm talking about making gradual structural institutional changes 
that could equalize things so that we don't have to go into I mean, I, I can understand if the world's becoming uh, you know if the world is is just how can I put this I understand that there's a need for optimization but I don't think that killing 80% of the planet is the, is the key to doing that necessarily yeah so there's some things about government that I agree with uh, but there's other things that, you know, I really believe people can start picking up the baton and, and really you know, doing things differently. But 90% of the time, it's, it's it's almost as if there's a mindset. People want to hear about the fear porn, as uh, Freeman Fly puts it so eloquently. You know, people want to hear, it, uh, hear about the, um, it's almost like uh, sensationalism, as opposed to the everyday, day-to-day tasks. I mean, somebody coming on the show and saying, well, in our community, we had a community meeting of a thousand people, and we've all agreed to put in solar panels. To me, that's news. To me, that Mm -hmm. is awesome news. You know, but we don't speak about those topics, generally speaking, and we don't hear those kinds of stories. No, unfortunately not. Um, Andrew, do you have a a radio show, or do you do uh, have any of your projects actually gotten off the ground? I have a website called gogreen.space, which I'm hoping to get off the ground, but it needs volunteers. Uh, it's just supposed to be a space for people to interconnect and start working on projects in their local area. It's actually literally like just a shell at the moment. Uh, you know, like I said before, I'm not like in disagreement with governments across the board. In fact, I think that like things, uh, groups like the Rothschilds, believe it or not, some of them, not all of them, um, <laughs> with, uh, with this inclusive capitalism thing, might be on the right track because they're recognizing that this whole situation might, uh, it, it appears that they might be recognizing that this whole situation is getting so out of control that it's not optimal anymore. Like even for them to be able to get, to, to maintain resources. Because if for whatever reason people do push buttons and the wrong nukes go off in the wrong places, then even those people are going to be in serious trouble that are the so-called elite. Of, you know, I mean, I, there's a lot of theories behind it, but ultimately I think that Certain people are starting to recognize that the system is not sustainable as it is, and killing 80% of the world population might not be the best option. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and and I, I think that it would be a gr- it would be great if we had more um, kind of local news like that and local networking uh-huh. and getting together and and even just finding out about what's okay. going on locally. But like you say, I mean, it's so difficult. First of all, to get people motivated and then connected enough to stay motivated. Yeah. And, well, what um, makes people motivated is structure. Like if we could release a yeah. Bitcoin uh, blockchain system where we attach gold and silver to the blockchain and then people start trading gold and silver on the blockchain and then other commodities as well eventually, then you know people start realizing, well, hang on, okay, so because we're all working within one organization, there's no taxation. Because once you start trading within an organization, you're no longer trading across borders or across... Uh, in other words, uh, Dell Corporation uh, in, in my region of the world doesn't pay any tax because they get other companies to sell their product for them, but there is no cost to them to bring the stuff in. It's all interesting, very, very interesting methods and, and systems in place. I think they might be paying tax now because someone outed them and they're doing it just as like an appeasement or whatever. <laughs> but technically speaking, they didn't have to. So um, so basically, like, the, the elite or the wealthy of the world have all these trusts and programs. If you started up a trust for a particular project or a group of projects, and all of the wealth was flowing for the development of that project within a trust and everything belonged to the trust, you'd be operating the same way that the Carnegie Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation operate without having any interference, uh, except that people haven't realized how to do this, and it needs the lawyers and the people that understand banking, etc. Maybe someone like Karen Hughes or, or some of these people to come alongside communities 
and actually say, okay, well, you know, regardless of what her religious or scientific views are of the world, uh, on, on the on the monetary side, she probably knows quite a bit. And on the uh, economic side, she, you know, in terms of how nations really work, she knows quite a bit. So someone like like that kind of person, and, and mathematicians and so forth, Austrian economists, could come alongside uh, the communities to say, okay, let's build this blockchain network for you. Uh, it doesn't take rocket science to develop the app. Um, you know, there's already many APIs for the Bitcoin network. And the only reason that we're using the Bitcoin network, or the main reason why we're using the Bitcoin network, is because the blockchain is a very, very... Uh, ubiquitous and well-backed-up and well-supported system. It's better, in fact, in some people's eyes, it's better than the uh, the current banking system because if, um, you know, if an EMP hits, like, I mean, theoretically, it's probably not going to happen, but if an EMP hits, like, New York, a big part of the U.S. economy gets erased or something yeah. like that, you know, uh, or mm-hmm. some of these banks are still running on COBOL, which is one of the oldest <laughs> programming languages. So, uh, so, I mean, with big servers that they've only, like, I don't know, replaced in the last 20 years or something. So, so, so basically, uh, you know, the blockchain is this worldwide, you know, ubiquitous recorded system that's like triple entry accounting I mean, or multiple, quadruple, and on it goes, uh, entry accounting where it's backed up on so many different servers and systems. So, so that gives the stability and then you can start utilizing. Now, all of a sudden, when the volunteer is saying, okay, so hang on, you mean that I'm going to get better services through the system? I'm going to be able to get solar. I don't have to pay the utility company. We can build our own smart grid. We don't have to have, uh, I mean, we can have our own private security force in the town. We don't have to put up with police shooting us. You mean, you mean I could change all of that? Wow. And I can immediately start getting a benefit from it if I just join up. Like, I can start getting paid in gold and silver for doing work instead of getting paid in dollars from donations through the network. Wow. Okay. And the silver price is not going to go down if the dollar goes down. Okay, great. You see, this is all doable. But uh, oh, yeah. it, all, it depends on us keeping in touch. You know, my email is gogreenspaceonline at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is to actually start crowdfunding it to get, like, people that understand crowdfunding and people that understand uh, how to actually raise money and be able to uh, manage money, manage money as well, to be able to create meaningful change from other well, funds. Andrew, yeah, Andrew, thanks for calling. And uh, keep in touch. And when you have some more news about your website or projects you're working on, feel, feel free to call back in and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them in the future. Ooh. I'd actually uh, just to end off, you know, I'm trying to do a, a site called World Freedom Radio. Dot, uh, sorry, WFR. Space, uh, which is, you know, which well, the idea behind it was to create an XM Sirius uh, type quality uh, group of stations that could perhaps, um, you know, bring bring some someone like you guys on board uh, to actually have a, you know, like a, an alternative to uh, for some nations to have an alternative to XM Sirius because. Uh, yeah, that's a really ubiquitous system that uh, you know that is that is up there, and uh, you can actually there is actually capacity on some satellites to do more, but it's uh, it all just comes down to you know whether uh, whether technology can be leveraged and whether people are willing to uh, you know put time and energy behind it. So I, I just wanted to put that one out there. Right, yeah, well, thank yeah, you, you for calling, Andrew. Yeah, and you can always email us uh, sot at sot dot net, and we'll get okay. we'll get your email and we'll respond. So, uh, but yeah, thanks again for calling, Andrew. All right, man. Keep well. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know a lot about the intricacies of the, the blockchain, all of those different kind of currencies and everything. But just from the uh, you know the social organizing and community organizing angle, with a couple of years' experience in that, I know how just unbelievably difficult it is to even get a stop sign put up in a neighborhood, let alone any real positive uh, social engagement that's long lasting. 
Um, you know, a lot of that I think is psychological. A lot of people are tied into the uh, the system as it is, and it's it's basically it's habitual and it's easy and it's the path of least resistance. And that's and this is the way that uh, operate, which is you know goes back to what I'm saying about the importance of uh, getting this information out here about the news because it's it's critical to have this bigger perspective about what's going on globally and how our actions, you know, tie into global politics and how, you know, all of these different uh, things that we've tried have failed in the past and what to, you know, what not to do and to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to, uh, we're going to have a shorter show today, um, but I think um, we've got a few more stories that we want to talk about first. Um, first of all, William, um, can you give us a rundown on some recent economic news? What do you have to tell us about that? Yeah, how about that stock market this past week, huh? Down over a thousand, <laughs> down over a thousand points. <laughs> Look out below. I mean, that was just crazy. And it's not just the U.S. stock market either. I mean, you've got the German DAX. It's down over 8%. The Shanghai Composite is also down 8%. I mean, this is a worldwide a phenomenon going on here. This is a, one of the worst weeks, first weeks of the year ever. It, even 2008 it wasn't as bad as it is this time. And that's just that's just really scary. And there's just no upward momentum at all anywhere. I mean, debt saturation is so bad. So many loans out there. Um, trillion, and China is a big part of that. They've got so many loans that are coming up due that people can't pay for that they've been having to roll over the loans and that they can't barely pay the interest on these. I mean, we're talking over $3 trillion worth. And so, of course, banks need to hoard cash to prepare for these coming solvency shortfalls with these loans defaulting. they got to keep cash. So cash flow is really being reduced as well. So that just keeps the uh, ball rolling downhill. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, something to keep an eye out. Uh, gold is actually up, which is uh, pretty interesting. It's usually when the stock markets go down, the gold also go down, but it's actually going up. Gas, uh, the price of oil is really hitting uh, $32, I believe, in that. And talks of it going low as 20 Uh yeah, and uh, well, just a little bit of economic news. I don't think we've talked about it on the show yet, but um, Ukraine officially defaulted on their uh, the $3 billion that they owe Russia. Um, That's right. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting bit of news. So Russia immediately, like the day, they had all of their lawsuits planned, so the day after, they're like, okay, well, we're filing lawsuits uh, against Kiev. And I don't know. Um, of course, the U.S. has refused, and the IMF has refused to basically bail Ukraine out. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Right, right. Um, Meg, you had a couple stories. Yeah, I did. Um, there was um, in the news. I guess it was January. Um, there was reports that an armed militia was occupying yes. a forest reserve in Oregon. And, yeah, it was um, Clyde and Bundy's three sons and allegedly 150 militiamen 
um, and it turns out that the um, the group of keepers and the three percenters, they're the, um, I don't know what you would call them. They're or, let's just say they're organizations. Um, oh, you there? Oh, it looks like we might have lost them. Well, just give me one minute. Let me see what's going on here, folks. Are you guys there? Can the listeners hear me? Okay, so apparently I'm still online. Um, but yeah, oh, we lost the connection with the with the rest of the team there. Um. Well, in that case, um, I think we'll maybe we'll hold off on discussing Oregon until next week because that is um that is a story that's also been developing in the states this uh occupation of this federal building in Oregon uh dealing with ranching rights and stuff i mean there's there's rumors that there's a lot more involved that the story isn't exactly what it appears on the surface so uh maybe next week we'll get into that i know there's also a a book being released that is promises to be very interesting um, on pedophilia and child abuse, um, linking in with the stuff that we've talked about on previous shows several times, like the Franklin scandal. Um, we'll be getting into that a bit more next week, too. So uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And um, sorry that we had technical difficulties. I'm sorry we lost the rest of our hosts here. But, um, yeah, thanks. Everyone take care, and we will see you next week. So thanks for tuning in. Reconnecting. Oh, it is.